podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from StartupRate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany. Today, we are bringing you another SME interview, and therefore, I would like to welcome Kate. Hi, Kate. How are you doing? Hi, Joe. I'm doing great. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to have you here. And guys, if you like what you're hearing, what you're listening, uh, what are you seeing? Make sure to hit the like and subscribe button and leave us a very nice comment and share it as much as you can. That said, Kate, you are working with startups and with corporates and help them to cooperate. Um, but let us first get a little bit into how you got to this position. Um, you are also advising uh, several startups we are interviewing or have been interviewing. Um, but how, how did you get to this position? You don't start out and say, oh, I want to be an advisor to a startup. W what happened there? Uh, yeah, no, I wasn't born and said, okay, startups, that's my, uh, that's my thing. No, I had a rather long and heavy career in commercial banking and really started with the whole bank training program, very heavy risk uh, training, and moved through from the uh, FI side, really correspondent banking to the corporate side, and then really concentrated on transaction services, so cash, trade, securities. And innovation became more and more interesting to me, more and more my hobby, if you will. And by the time I got to my last bank, I worked for ING as the last stop, um, I got to do innovation as my job. So I was working on the wholesale side for, for innovation and I was working with certain startups and I got the bug and I loved it. And as I got the opportunity um, three years ago, I made myself independent. I became a freelancer working together very strongly with fintechs. I also advise banks and corporates, but it's always the, the, the theme is digitalization, it's innovation, uh, and that's what I'm looking at for cash and trade. We may add for everybody who's not really in banking, that correspondence banking basically means you have a network as a bank, you used to have a network with other banks, and that's basically how you made international transactions. And transaction services means everything related to trading um, for cash or um, like equity, stock exchange, stuff like this. Well, it's to, to just be very clear on the transaction services side, although I did work on the security sales piece, it was primarily cash. When I say cash, I mean account opening. It's all the EB tools, it's liquidity management, it's uh, cards, commercial card programs, etc. And on trade, it would be the plain vanilla, if you will, LCs, collections, but also all the supply chain finance and supplier finance tools. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, at, at what point did you decide, oh, um, this corporate job isn't for me anymore, I much more enjoy startups? What, what, what triggered you there? Well, I think it was really, as I said, I think it was uh, working with ING was a real pleasure, I must say. I mean, it was my fifth international bank. I have more than 30 years experience in commercial banking. Um, but it, I, the bug really bit me when I got to, um, I started out working with a, a, a third-party payments provider called Peconic, which is strong in the Betalux. 
and one of my jobs was to really bring it to Germany and really get down and dirty as how that works, what would you do, the marketing, the strategy plan. It was the first time I had stand-up meetings. Ooh, that was really exciting. Different. I loved it. Uh, fast, dynamic. Um, and I saw myself a little bit as the bridge between what it had had happened, so the old world, to what was really happening, the new world, which I loved. Uh, and I was able to explain to people what this all meant and where it was going because they had trouble. Either they were in the old camp or the new camp. And having done that, uh, working also with another uh, company called Cobase, which is also a spinoff from ING, I really decided that the whole strategy piece, working with fintechs and bringing my both transaction services knowledge and my coaching skills and my risk uh, experience together in one was a really exciting possibility. And that's when I got the idea to start really advising and consulting. And I had the opportunity to go rogue, to go <laughs> freelance, and I did it. Um, so you went freelance, and that that's one of the points we will be talking about today. Not necessarily uh, how freelance working for startups is, but rather what you and maybe even I have learned from that, because uh, today we want to talk about how startups could or should approach the cooperation with the corporate, because there is usually a lot of misunderstanding and even fear, maybe on both sides, the startups fear to be copied by the corporates and the corporates fear to be outrun by by the small and agile startups. Um, what, how would you start? For example, uh, I'm now founder and I said, Oh, I think I need to cooperate with corporates. Um, how would you start? Help me think about it. It's a very good question. Uh, I think that if we go back in history a few years, um, there was a real fear even from the corporate side to work with a startup. Why? Because although there were laser focus um, possibilities in terms of solutions, the substance was, um, let's say, small. And the question was, would they survive? Uh, are they really clever enough in terms of their you know, risk assessments? Do they do compliance well? Uh, am I taking on something that isn't going to work? There was also the, the big question of the, um, I would call it even the language. Startups would speak in one way and have certain ideas uh, and corporates and banks, I'll put them both in the same category, would not, uh, they didn't understand each other. It was as simple as that. Um, they worked differently. Um, there was legacy on one side and there was Greenfield on the other. So it was, there were a lot of barriers. But in the end of the day, it was absolutely key, and it is absolutely key that they collaborate because that's the future in my mind. We no longer can have the one-stop shop where a corporate or a bank makes everything, does everything. They're going to need to work with the right kind of providers. And on one hand, if you look at PSD2 and open banking, how that's opened up the possibility for banks. And on the corporate side, I think there's a lot more confidence today to work with startups that have the right ideas or maybe startups that become scale-ups. So, I mean, that's how I would start it, Joe. 
Ah, that, that's already a good start. We may add from the start that PSD2 is the payment service directive number two, which forces banks to open up a little bit to startups. Of course, you can learn down, more down here in the show notes what that actually means. And uh, I think there there have been libraries talked and written about PSD2 alone, and we won't get started here. Go down here in the show notes and you will be able to learn more. Um, and Okay, now I understood that as a startup founder and um, how would I need to come up with a list of potential cooperation partners as corporates? Should I just look at my direct competitors at companies who do something similar or kind of similar? How, how would you approach that? Okay, well, the first question is, you know, what does the corporate want? You know, is it a is it a question if we use perhaps, you know, work very closely with, you know, no secret on my profile with uh, two fintechs, uh, one in the cash world, one in the trade world. If I start perhaps with a trade example um, and look at TraxPay, the product there is really a platform to allow companies, um, buyers who are selling um, or excuse me, suppliers who are selling to buyers. Um, and those buyers want to help those suppliers by actually paying them early, but at a discount, of course. Um, really taking care of that is a, is a huge process. There's a lot involved and you really need a very sophisticated platform to make that happen in a good way, both in terms of risk and economies of scale and all the rest. So here you have, you know, a fantastic platform. And how does how does that work from there? Well, in this particular case, um, working together with Traxbay, we've decided what kind of a company would actually fit the profile. So what kind of company would want that sort of service? Then we also work with banks in this case and say, what kind of banks or multipliers could we talk to that would also have corporate clients that would be interested in this kind of a service? So it's... On this particular case or in this particular case, it's very much a need question. Um, what corporates could use these services? In other words, they are quite international. There is a lot of complexity. Um, they have suppliers that really could uh, benefit by quicker, more liquid, um, more liquidity in their invoices. So that's actually not too difficult. The more difficult uh, part is to really sort of reimagine the process, to explain to them that this can be done and it can be done easily and quickly. Um, not only say it, but prove it. And to the banks to say, mm, your corporate customers are no longer interested in monobank platforms. They want multibank platforms. So what you're doing now might be cool, but it's not cool for the future. You're going to have to work with a provider that will give your buyers what they want. That's one side. On the cash side, uh, when, I, when I work with a company like TIS, there it's really a question of companies who um, they're looking for a provider who can really reduce complexity. If you think of, you know, the treasurer headache, oh my gosh, I have 2000 ERP systems. I'm joking, but many ERP systems and iterations. I have really hundreds of banks in 50 different countries, maybe 2000 accounts. I have a lot of people out there with different rights. It's spaghetti. It's, it's worse than spaghetti. It's complex. 
and you're looking for someone to make that easy, who could stand in the middle and fix that? And on top of that, give me yet more products and services through a platform. So again, there's, uh, you know, the FinTech has to say, who's out there that could really use my product? What makes sense? You know, and I help them look through that and I help them also position that. And on the other side, to explain to corporates why that's so important and to show them the value. So those are some of the parameters I work with. Um, basically, I would boil it down. I've, I've, I've been typing while you're reading to question one, what do corporates want? Question two, how do I fit in, in there? And question three, how do I get the right positioning there? W w would that be fine for a first step? Yeah, what a you know what a corporate wants want I think what they what they're really looking for they they know what they want in the in in the case of TraxPay, corporates want to um, there's the view of the supplier and the buyer the buyer um, would like to take their liquidity and probably use it more efficiently the supplier would like to uh, increase their liquidity when they need it so that's what they want um, what's your question number two again would you repeat that. Um, how does my startup fit in there? And the start, and, and then from the corporate's point of view, they're going to be looking at any sort of startup or any sort of scale up that would fit exactly that need. How do they find them? Through people like me, who really know the market, who've done a market scan, who've talked to, who've worked with my research. I spend two, three hours every day researching the market. I look at every provider. I look what every provider is doing in Europe or in the U.S. in my area of expertise. I see how it's changing. So either, uh, you know, you work through someone like me. Maybe you would work through an advisor. So some of the consultancy services where, you know, I also contribute to. But it's it's not easy because there's so many interesting providers out there. And you need you need to know a little bit about their experience and their product and you know, is the longevity really there? So that would be number two. And number three is the right positioning. That's the, that's the three questions that I got. How do you position yourself right for this first interaction with a corporate? Fair enough. I think, I think it's very, very key that you have, um, you know, I'm doing, I'm working with TIS who's about to come out with a, a totally new rebranding, you know, messaging, but also the most incredible platform. And, you know, the question is here is really doing your homework as a fintech uh, on the one side and really figuring out how to position yourself. I think uh, as far as the corporate goes, you know, they, they either know exactly what they need um, or they think they do, and they need to have the right kind of advice and consultancy help um, to get where they're going. What do I mean? Um, I'll take a cash example. Uh, a corporate may say, I want pooling. I want cash pooling. Um, but what they really mean is I want to improve my liquidity picture. And if your fintech is, is smart and agile and clever, they'll understand that the point here is improving liquidity. And there are many things that can be done to do that. There isn't a corporate out there that isn't looking to optimize liquidity. So that's, that's one way to look at it, if you will. Mm -hmm. I see. I see. Um, and let's say we got it all figured out because 
that already is is a really tough step um even for people who worked in corporates before um because what i've i've been a startup scout in the past and what i've seen they they just sent me the usual pitch deck that is tailored to investors and it has awesome kpis annual recurring revenue monthly recurring revenue and um then i was going huh what is the important information for me here? So basically, you have to put yourself into the shoes of the corporate, which can be very hard, uh, depending how on how much you understand of them, and then yes. think from their position. Um, because it, if I could just add something there, it goes back to to what we uh, were talking about just before is the language. So. Um, Two things, as you as you very rightly say, you have to put your, yourself in the position of the treasurer. And frankly, unless you've worked with treasurers for some time, that might be a difficult one. Uh, I mean, I sold to treasurers for many, many, many years. So I understand the kind of questions, the kind of challenges. I know sort of a day in the life of the treasurer, what they're doing. That's absolutely key. On the other side, it's uh, even if you understand all that, how do you how do you do treasurer speak? So how do you actually talk to them? How do you position to them? And, you know, you also mentioned something about getting, you know, decks or paper. The question is also, you know, are you using, um, are you using in, in the field sales? Are you using, you know, more of the marketing approach? You know, what, what are you actually, you know, is it, um, there's, there's so many tools out there and yet you have to really understand your audience where they're looking, where they're buying, what they're reading. Um, so that does make a huge difference as well in terms of positioning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, I would then go ahead and ask you, how would you think, how would you help to think the CEO, the founder of a startup about questions if or if not he or she has figured it out um but by the way uh we may add a treasurer is the person in charge in big corporates uh that make sure they have the the money enough money and also in the right currency that can be quite tricky um if you're dealing like in five or ten different currencies uh five or ten different time zones 20 or 30 banks and then you start to see the complexity in that uh i i'm not really envying those people <laughs> um but what i was going at is okay let's say you have a list of corporates you have a rough idea how you would fit in and how you would position yourself but then the question is whom should i talk to who is the right person to talk to and how should i start to approach them. For me personally, it's pretty simple. I talk to startups. They usually approach me. Sometimes I approach them and uh, then usually directly the founder via LinkedIn. But I I'm afraid if you want to, co uh, if you want to work with, uh, companies like Bosch, Porsche or Mercedes, um, it's not so easy to get uh, accepted as a contact uh, on LinkedIn by the CEO, right? Absolutely. It's actually, that's actually a brilliant question because um, that's one of the things that I spend a lot of time talking to um, my startups about is how to get, how to, how to get the first um, discussion going, how to, how to really get in there, how to really talk about it. And um, 
yeah, I think that, you know, they certainly work LinkedIn. That's that's one of them. Um, but, you know, first trying to figure out who to talk to in an organization, which could be the treasurer, it could be the cash manager, it could be compliance, it could in fact be HR. It's very interesting. There's different there's different pockets. It could be procurement. Um, it really depends on what obviously what you're selling. And even if I'm talking about a company like TIS that has that concentrates on payment optimization, it still looks at all those different areas. So um, there's a lot of social media work that can be done that makes it easier. That's how you know I would suggest starting. But also once you've done that. You know, once you've got them on the phone or once you've got their ear for a moment, what do you start saying? What do you do? And positioning is absolutely crucial. As I said, you've got to really understand what their pain points are or try to get them out on the table very, very quickly. Um, they have to feel that it's worth having that first discussion with you. I was actually, you, 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 you already overtook me because the the Sorry. first question was, Whom would I approach? How would I approach? And then the next question is how to get the first meeting. But basically, w yeah. what I what I deduced from you was um, first step would be f uh, read their social media posts, their press releases, maybe even their Absolutely. annual reports. And Absolutely. what what I found interesting was uh, you always have different parts you could talk to depending on your product or your service. But what was always for me important you have to make sure you talk to someone who has a budget for doing stuff like this. Because if you don't have a budget, you're just wasting your time. Ta-da! Unfortunately, that's usually true. Without a budget, it makes it difficult. Um, you know, I was I was going to add one thing that I think is not, um, that shouldn't be forgotten. You know, we talked about sort of the cold call way of going at it. Uh, one thing that's absolutely important, one thing I do for my clients is if you have a lot of contacts, it makes a lot of difference. It's like everything else in life. You know, if you have somebody give an introduction, of course, in the end of the day, it's always key. You know, is your product the right one? You know, is it going to work? Blah, blah, blah. But getting that first talk, getting that first interview, getting in the door um, with contacts makes all the difference. So that certainly is a big help. So having an advisor uh, is often very helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, also meaning contacts are gold, contacts are key. What, what I personally would be doing, I go through the um, social media content, look for the content that's relevant to me. Maybe there there is a person uh, who is uh, mentioned there in the blog post or whatever it is they are sharing. Or maybe you can look for uh, who else is sharing this blog post or stuff. Maybe it's the person in charge of X, Y at this company, and they're also sharing it on Twitter. That's a great contact or LinkedIn. Um, and um, of course, then you said connections. Connections are important there. Uh, if you know someone who knows someone, it's much, much easier to, than to just do a cold call. And um, a warm intro. Yeah, exactly. And then assume you get to the first meeting. How would you advise to, them to prepare and how much ca can or should they tell? <laughs> we don't all, do easy all, questions here <laughs> no all, all very very good questions you know and i'm working uh, i'm working with a few fintechs on that um you know a few startups on that actually you know exactly how do you position yourself 
When do you do what? How soon do you do it? What kinds of questions? What are the best questions to ask? How industry specific do we have to get? Um, and it really, I have to say, it really depends, dot, 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 because uh, there's no, you know, one size fit all, fits all is not going to work here. But having said that, you know, doing your homework is absolutely key. Let's face it, everyone wants to feel like they're important. And if you know more about me before you talk with me, of course, I feel better about it. It's very key. On the other hand, you also want to listen. Listen, listen, listen. Very important. So if you ask the right open-ended questions to get certain, certain information about where they're going, the projects, what's key to them, what you know, where the shoe is pinching, that's also very important. So it's a combination and it really depends. And you have to have a little, um, uh, I'm thinking of the German word, I'm trying to remember the English word uh, as a Feingefühl. You really have to feel your way carefully through some of these situations to, to do it right. It's not, uh, it's not a, a, a scheme that you can plot out in every case. You have to be ready for some dead ends and, you know, repivots. I, I, I'm just looking at the at the uh, at the show notes I'll have here down in the sh uh, in the blog post, and I'll explain PSD two cash pooling treasurer and fine gefühl. <laughs> this is interview is going to be awesome. <laughs> um, I try, you know, it's it's the it's you know one of the things I didn't mention when we started. Um, I'm half German, half American. I have literally two passports, two citizenships, and I grew up with both languages. And I really get to the point where I sometimes have difficulty doing anything in just one. So this is this is one of those words. And I've also seen not only do you have an MBA from Wharton, but you also graduated with a degree in German literature. Who was your favorite writer? <laughs> You're supposed to say Goethe now, right? I don't know. Fontana actually was one of my absolute favorites and did a lot of work on that. So. I'm not too sure how I would mention, but I, I would totally not do Kafka. Uh, Kafka is always twist, <laughs> twisting my brain. Uh, we'll have uh, so, some version of text of Kafka and it's always like in a dream. Reality is just moving. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, Kafka was not. I Although I had to read quite a bit. Uh, no, that was not my favorite writer. Uh. Um, I see. Uh, okay. Uh, below fine gefühl, there will be Kafka. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, let's say we have this, uh, we have this first meeting done and, uh, then we have a few more meetings. Um, how would you talk to a startup about signing a corporation? I would personally say, talk to a third party. It doesn't have to be necessarily a lawyer because he will understand the, the law aspects of it, but not the business aspects. Talk to a friend who is also a founder. Talk to, talk to a third party who's somehow knowledgeable and make sure you're not really disadvantaged there. Plus, what I always find important, many, many corporation agreements I've seen, they're very awesome, uh, exact down to the detail. And they don't say one word about how to get out of this contract. They have a, a, a notice period and that's it. But they don't specify anything, how to get out of process or stuff like this. This is always important for me because... Uh, When you don't end this cooperation on good terms, it may get ugly, it may get long, and it, you may even get into a legal fight. And that's something you really, really want to avoid as a startup. 
What would you advise? <laughs> All of the above sounds good to me. Um, I think I think one thing that I also find is that many startups are so desperate to get into the game that they're willing to uh, perhaps give too much away. That's something I would worry about or watch out for. Um, it's not that you don't compromise. I think you can, uh, both sides can do that. Um, and you have to, but you have to also know where the boundaries are. Uh, that's something I've seen a few times and that's, that would, that would be a piece of advice I would really give. Um, so that and, uh, also understanding, you know, where your partner is coming from. Um, uh, I think that's also very key. So I think between the between what you said and what I said, that's a um, you have a framework. And also, uh, you know, the very obvious talk to someone who's done it before. Try to get some advice, uh, you know, that I think is always key. So now as kind of um, a guideline, I've I've uh, I've written down during we we've been talking what do corporates want? How does my startup fit in there? How do I get the right positioning? Whom to approach? How do I approach? How do I get in the first meeting? How do I tell? What do I tell in the first meeting? And get advice on the final agreement. As we said, of course, a lawyer is always good, but also make sure you get the business side and how to end the contract right. Absolutely. And also get, as I said, um, I really do see some of the startups that they, that are so anxious to get into business that they're willing to give away too much and they're not looking out for their own interests. It is important. Mm -hmm. Well, that's actually awesome closing words. We're recording now for 30 minutes already, which is a little bit longer on my regular episodes. But I do believe there are now a lot of questions from all the startups um, out there. And of course, you can reach Kate down here in the show notes. There's her LinkedIn profile as well as her company website. Um, Kate, thank you very much. It was just a pleasure having you on my show. Uh, hope to see you back and uh, hope uh, to, uh, that many, many entrepreneurs find it interesting and helpful what we've talked about. Thank you very much. It was a real pleasure. If you are a professional looking at the European startup scene, Germany is a place you cannot miss. Fortunately for you, there is StartupRad.io, the authority on German startups. This English-only podcast brings you fresh interviews each week. Most likely, you have never heard or read anything-only startups before in English, but you will in the future. Be ahead of the curve and subscribe to StartupRad.io podcast or check for the StartupRad.io internet radio station. Check your Alexa for the StartupRad.io skill as well.